Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. Learn more about the program and our church when you visit walkintruth.com. Now here's part two of Pastor Michael's teaching in Exodus 20 called The Ten Commandments, First and Second. But Gomer was unfaithful to Hosea. Hosea's name means salvation. But the prophet was called to love her despite the fact that she would be unfaithful. And you know what? God continues to love us even when we're wayward. Even when we're faithless, he is faithful. But it would be good if we would be faithful to the covenant because being faithful to the covenant shows that we love him. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You can say that you love God all day long, but the proof is really going to be how you live, right? I mean, talk is cheap. So Jesus said, if you you say that you love me, then I want you to do what I say. One writer says, so frightening was this for the people to experience that as soon as God finished these words, they said, Moses, you talk to him and tell us what he has to say. All the people were hearing the voice of God just as Adam, Eve, Noah, Abraham, and the patriarchs had heard it. And as Moses had heard it earlier on Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb when God first called him. And so now this would be forever implanted in the minds of the people. I am the Lord your God. Look at verse 2. I brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. I am the Lord your God. I want you to see that the Ten Commandments are based on a foundation of relationship. I am the Lord your God. That's repeated over and over again. And it has the implication that this God has a personal relationship with every single individual within the nation. Sometimes when we look at a room like this and we kind of walk it out to our city and our state and our world, we think, man, there's so many people. How can God really know me personally? But God does know you. And if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit has come to live inside of you. He knows you very, very well. He knows your struggles. He knows the things that you know maybe bother you in the midst of the night and questions that you may have and Maybe sometimes you look inside and you wonder, man, can I do this? Can I measure up, etc.? And he says, I am the Lord your God. David put it this way. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And I, and I would ask you, is the Lord your God? Would you say that, that he is my God? Well, he is faithful. He says in Deuteronomy 7, verse 9, Know therefore that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God, who keeps his covenant and his loving kindness to a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. Deuteronomy 7, verse 9. I bought you out of the house of slavery. I love you. Now I want you to follow me. I'm your creator. I'm your redeemer. I'm your sustainer. Sometimes when people hear about the God of the Bible, they ask questions like this. Well, does God, the God of the Bible have a right to tell me what to do? Usually it's formed this way. You don't have any right to tell me what to do. Well, if you're speaking the word of God to somebody, remember, you're just simply conveying God's truth to them. They may not like it, but God has every right to tell us what to do. Why? Throw it out to me. Why do you think God has a right to tell you what to do? 
He created you. You're breathing his air, walking on his dirt. You got a, a beating heart you don't even have to think about. He made that. He made your circulatory system. He gave you ears. He gave you a nose to smell. He gave you taste buds. How glorious. Tonight, there's going to be candy. Right? Now, it would be one thing if you pulled up to a human fueling station and just, okay, I'm ready to go. No, no, no. We get to eat. We get to, okay, I'm going to leave that alone. But we get to enjoy it, right? This is what God has created. He created you. He came to redeem you. He sustained you. And he's prepared a place for you after this life. Does he have a right to speak into your life? I think he does. But it's the question of, is he your God? The law reflects the divine character of God. And it reflects the character of the lawgiver. It's important to him. It should be important to us. Commandment number one, verse three. You shall have no other gods. Notice it's small g before me. Now don't divorce the first two verses from what is said here. It's based on a relationship, a saving relationship, a love relationship. And then he says, have no other gods before me. That means besides me, above me, in addition to me, together with me, beyond me, above me, over me, over against me. It means that any other God, so-called God, stands in opposition to the true God, for there is only one true God. One true God with a capital G. We were doing some homeless ministry years ago as a pretty new pastor, and uh, they said, go up to this certain guy. He was a homeless guy, but he was a believer. And they said, ask him to, sm- to spell God, or he'll ask you to spell God. And so he says, hey, pastor, spell God. And I said, G-O-D. And he said, oh, capital G-O-D. Why do you say that? Because when you capitalize the G, you're talking about the God. The one true God. Jesus put it this way. There's only, John 17, 3, one true God. If there's only one true God, that makes other, all other gods. Thank you. If there's only one true God, this is deep. See if you can, you might need a Snickers right now just to keep, keep you alive. If there's only one true God, all other gods are. Now, on Wednesday night, we looked at the deity of Jesus Christ, and we finished up 1 John. 1 John 5, 19 through 21. And it says of Jesus, this is the true God and eternal life. And then it said, little children, guard yourselves from idols. That's a New Testament book. And we went through verse after verse in Isaiah chapters 40 through 48, where God says over and over again, I am God and there is no other. There was no God formed before me or after me. I am God. There's no one else. I know of no other God. There is no other God. I am God. There is no one else. I made the world all alone. I am God. I am God. There is no other. There is no other. Over and over again until finally you say, okay, I get it. Uncle, uncle, you're God. There is no other. But some of you may be saying, But then why does the God of the Bible acknowledge other gods if there's no other God? This is very important. Write this down. Galatians 4 verse 8 says, However, at that time when you did not know God, you were slaves to those which by nature are no gods. Galatians 4 8. 
You can make a God, small g, out of anything. It could be a relationship. It could be your car. It could be a TV show. It could be a video game. It could be anything that you put above God. Jesus put it this way. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, Matthew 6, 33. And I'll add all these other things that you worry about to you, like food and clothing, etc. Amen? Put God first and everything else will fall into place in your life. Put God first in your family. Put God first in your company. Put God first in your personal walk. And everything else will fall into place. Have you experienced that? That's what happens. You put him first and he takes care of the rest. Have no other gods before me. You can make a God out of anything. And I want to show you just uh, in Deuteronomy, which is a few pages to the right now, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So it's the last book of Moses here. There's a second generation that's going to hear these 10 words or laws. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 4. They'll hear it in chapter 5. We won't go there because they're basically the same commands. But before that, here's what God says. He's speaking now through Moses to the next generation after Mount Sinai. Deuteronomy 4.35. To you was shown that you might know that the Lord, he is God. There is what? No other besides him. Out of the heavens, he let you hear his voice to discipline you. Deuteronomy 4.36. And on earth, he let you see his great fire. And you heard his words from the midst of the fire. Because he loved your fathers, therefore he chose their descendants after them. He personally brought you from Egypt by his great power driving out from before you nations greater and mightier than you to bring you in and give you their land for an inheritance as it is today. Know therefore today and take it to your heart that the Lord, he is God in heaven above and on earth below. And there is what? There's no other. Now I could give you a ton of verses. Maybe go back and listen to the Wednesday night message. But here's a good summary verse, 1 Timothy 2, 5. There is one God and one mediator between God and man. That is the man or the God-man, Christ Jesus. 1 Chronicles 16, 26 says this. All the gods, small g, of the peoples are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his place. What is an idol? In rapid fire, something opposed to the, to the true and living God, 1 Thessalonians 1.9. Something lifeless and dumb, 1 Corinthians 12.2. For Jews, idols, and pagan gods were identical. The term connoted to both Jews and most Christians something detestable, Deuteronomy 29.17. Ezekiel reveals that idols are a matter of the heart. They are a stumbling block, and they can estrange God's people from him, Ezekiel 14.3-5. When God speaks to the prophet Ezekiel in his day, he says, I'm going to take you to the temple, the very building where God was to be worshipped, and I'm going to show you what's going on. And Ezekiel is told in chapter 8 to dig a hole through the wall to get a view of what's going on. And in the very temple, the lead elders and priests of the holy place are inside and they're worshipping the sun god. Now, God made the sun, so you don't worship the sun, you, you worship the God who made the sun and placed it 
in its very spot. You don't worship the moon. You'll hear more from you Pastor worship the Michael God who made the moon. Listen to our podcast mini-series, A Step Closer. In these series, Pastor Michael Lance and others on the Walk in Truth team discuss topics we face in our life from a Christian perspective. Our next series is called In His Image, A Case for Life in a Post-Roe v. Wade World with guest speaker Scott Klusendorf from the Life Training Institute. You know, sometimes we as pastors think, oh boy, I don't want to get distracted. I want to stay tethered to the Great Commission. And I agree, we should be about the Great Commission. But the question is, what does the Great Commission teach? The Great Commission teaches that we are to disciple believers. What does that mean? Well, Jesus told us in Matthew 28, we're to teach them to obey all that Christ commands. What is one of those commands in Scripture? We're not to shed innocent blood. Exodus 23, 7 teaches that. Proverbs 6, 16 to 19 teaches that. Matthew 5, 21 references that. So when we speak about abortion, which is the shedding of innocent blood, we're not distracting people from the Great Commission. We're helping them align with it. You can listen to A Step Closer on walkintruth.com. Or you can subscribe and follow Walk in Truth on your favorite podcast app, like Apple Podcast, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and many more. That's Walk in Truth's A Step Closer on your favorite podcast app. We'd love to see who's listening, so please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just do a search for Walk in Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. What is an idol in rapid fire? Something opposed to the, to the true and living God, 1 Thessalonians 1.9. Something lifeless and dumb, 1 Corinthians 12.2. For Jews, idols, and pagan gods were identical. The term connoted to both Jews and most Christians something detestable, Deuteronomy 29.17. Ezekiel reveals that idols are a matter of the heart. They are a stumbling block, and they can estrange God's people from him, Ezekiel 14, 3 through 5. When God speaks to the prophet Ezekiel in his day, he says, I'm going to take you to the temple, the very building where God was to be worshipped, and I'm going to show you what's going on. And Ezekiel is told in chapter 8 to dig a hole through the wall to get a view of what's going on. And in the very temple, the lead elders and priests of the holy place are inside and they're worshipping the sun god. Now, God made the sun, so you don't worship the sun, you, you worship the God who made the sun and placed it in its very spot. You don't worship the moon, you worship the God who made the moon. And Ezekiel, uh, I'm sorry, yeah, it's Ezekiel, uh, he looks through this hole and he sees people who are uh, weeping for this false god, Tammuz, and God says, do you see what my people are doing? Do you see the abominations that they are committing? And in chapter 9, and you can read this this week, all of a sudden judgment comes to this place. And God marks the people not to be judged with a tav, which is the Hebrew letter that looks like a cross. And they get marked on the forehead. And when the judgment comes, anyone who has been weeping over the idolatry happening in the holy city is spared the judgment. Anybody that's been partaking of it is judged. And this becomes a picture of how the cross of Jesus Christ, they're marked with the tab, saves those. If you weep over what's happening today, because you have God's heart, not because you're perfect, but because you desire for God to be glorified, 
You're not under God's wrath because you've been saved by the cross of Jesus Christ. But this is what idols do. They produce nothing. In fact, they can alienate you from God. They can crowd uh, the true God out of your life. God put it this way in Deuteronomy 6, verse 12. Watch yourself, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. You shall fear only the Lord your God, and you shall worship him and swear by his name. You shall not follow other gods, Deuteronomy 6, 14, any of the gods of the peoples who surround you. It doesn't seem like the gods of Egypt were much of a problem for Israel, but when they went into the promised land, the land of Canaan, that's when they got seduced by these false gods. Why? Because they were attractive. Because they offered fertility blessings and they offered, you know, things that were exciting to the people. And sometimes Israel came into the land and they watched these other people groups and they said, well, maybe, you know, they seem to be doing well. Maybe, maybe we'll try that and try this. And all of a sudden their hearts were taken away or moved away from the living God. Decide, Joshua tells the people, choose today whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, Joshua twenty four fifteen, we will serve the Lord. Brethren, this is a decision that every household needs to make. You know, a lot of you have the Joshua twenty four fifteen verse somewhere in your house. And that's a declaration that you have made that I'm going to put aside all other false gods. And as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. That means, brethren, I don't care what anybody else is doing. For me and my house, this is what we're going to do. I hope you've declared that. I hope you've planted your flag. I hope you've decided that you will follow Jesus. The Lord God is an awesome God. Far be it from us, the people responded, that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. I'm going to show you two verses in Jeremiah. Let's turn over there. You're going to pass up the Psalms and Proverbs, Isaiah. Go to Jeremiah. Jeremiah lived in a time when God's judgment was falling upon his people. And God gave him some hard stuff to share. And in Jeremiah 7, this is the first of two passages I want to show you. God begins to address the problem, which is idolatry. Jeremiah 7, look at verse 5. He says to his people, For if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly, Jeremiah 7, 5, practice justice between a man and his neighbor, if you do not oppress the alien, the orphan, or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, nor walk after other gods to your own ruin, then I will let you dwell in this place in the land that I gave to your fathers forever and ever. Behold, you are trusting in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal, murder, and commit adultery and swear falsely, offer sacrifices to Baal, there's a false god, and walk after other gods that you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house, that's the temple, which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered, that you may do all these abominations, Go to Jeremiah chapter 10. You're going to walk after these gods and basically live apart from me all week long. And then you're going to come into my house and say, we're delivered because we're standing in a holy building. Now, while it is true that God used symbols, he doesn't want anything made to represent him. We'll see that in a moment. He did allow symbols like the Ark of the Covenant and the Holy of Holies. 
He did allow the temple to reflect his glory in many ways. But the temple was not God and the ark was not God. And when the disciples were showing Jesus around the holy city in the last week of his uh, earthly ministry in his life before he died on the cross, they said, Lord, look at all these incredible temple buildings. And Jesus said, do you see these? I tell you, not one stone will be left upon another that will not be thrown down. In less than a generation from the time that Jesus spoke that, the temple was destroyed to the ground by the Romans. And it has never been rebuilt again to this day. We're almost 2,000 years removed from those words of Jesus. And by the way, that was a prophecy. And within 40 years of him speaking that, the temple was completely destroyed. And the temple became something known as Ichabod. The glory departed from it. It, the building became more important to them than God. In 1 Samuel 4, the Philistines, uh, one of the arch enemies of Israel, steal the ark. And the people are like, oh no, they took our God. And they tried to put God in a box. Everybody with me? That's a little humor for you. God is not contained in an ark. God descended upon the ark to reveal himself in special occasions, but you can't box him. And the ark became symbolic of his presence. But here's the point. God is higher than any ark. Paul comes into the city of Athens, Greece. It's all steeped in philosophy and education. All the bigwigs are there. And Paul sees this marketplace, almost like going to the mall today. And along the marketplace are 3,000 different uh, uh, objects built to different gods and goddesses, altars, even one to the unknown God, just in case we missed one. If there's any other God out there, this altar's for you. And Paul walks in, and the Bible says in Acts 17, 16, that he was annoyed. Do you like that? It's biblical to be annoyed. However, to be jealous for God's glory. Because he saw the city swimming in idols. 3,000 different altars to this God and goddess, this God, this God, this goddess, this God, this God. And Paul was annoyed because God was being dishonored. And, God, and Paul turned that annoyance into preaching. That'd be a good thing if we do that as well, right? He didn't go up into the Areopagus where they debated ideas and go, you're all going to hell in a handbasket. You're going to fry. See you later. Have a nice day. Hey, anybody want nowhere to get a sandwich? No. He was winsome. He said, what you worship in ignorance, I now proclaim to you. Then he said, the God who made the world and everything in it, he's not worshiped by human hands. He doesn't dwell in buildings that human hands have made. That's not who God is. And there he began to preach the good news of the gospel. That's what we need to do with our culture. Our culture's confused. Our culture doesn't know a whole lot about the Bible. Latest Barna poll, uh, they interview professing Christians, evangelicals, and when they peel back the onion, only 6% of professing evangelicals have a biblical worldview. And you know where the percentage is for millennials? 2%. Who profess to be Christians, 
But then when you begin to ask them doctrinal questions and life questions, they don't really have a biblical worldview in navigating their life. Where is the disconnect? What is happening? And yet at the same time, you see something like the Chosen series, and it's being watched by millions and even billions of people around the world. There's a hunger for the things of God. And the, you know, the creator of the Chosen said, you know, I, I don't want this to replace the Bible, but people aren't reading anymore. I want it to move people to the Bible. Amen. You've been listening to The Ten Commandments, First and Second, Part 2, on Walk in Truth. That's Pastor Michael's teaching in Exodus, Chapter 20. If you missed any part of today's program, you can listen to Walk in Truth on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We would love to hear from you. You can email Pastor Michael with your questions you may have from his teaching today, or maybe you have a question about something else, or you need encouragement or prayer. Maybe you'd like to share how Pastor Michael's teachings have blessed you. You can email Pastor Michael at this email address, contact at walkintruth.com. That's contact at walkintruth.com. One more time, contact at walkintruth.com. And thanks for reaching out. You can also find our mailing address on walkintruth.com. And remember, Walk in Truth is a listener-supported ministry. Your financial partnership helps us broadcast on this station and provide the podcast for free. Also, more people like you can dive deeper into the Word of God and apply it to their life. Please consider becoming a Walk in Truth monthly partner of at least $10 a month or give a one-time gift. Please visit walkintruth.com to give. And join us tomorrow for part three of Pastor Michael's teaching in Exodus chapter 20 called The Ten Commandments, First and Second. I'm Mike Massaro. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, where it's our goal to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.